Hi, this is Stan Bush. You got the power! You're listening to Play That Rock and Roll with Joe K. Yeah! This is not a test. This is Play That Rock and Roll Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Joseph K., and like the song at the start says, just call me Joe. Hey, happy 2021. Yes, this is the first episode of our second year of the podcast. Thanks so much to everybody who tuned in last year. I'm hoping this year will be even better. We're going to start this year off with a connection to an episode I put out last year. If you were listening last year, you might have saw that I had an interview with recording artist Stan Bush, who is most famous for recording the song The Touch, which is the centerpiece of the 1986 Transformers animated movie. Stan put a new album out last year and sort of had an open call for podcasts and interviews, and I jumped at the chance to speak with him. And we had a great time. He was just about the nicest guy. And in both preparation for the interview and in the weeks after, I just got really into his music, and I thought he would make a great subject for a full artist retrospective, which is what we're going to do today, because there is so much more to the guy than The Touch. In fact, I haven't even seen that Transformers movie. I like The Touch, of course, but like that's not my favorite song of his. So there's a lot of great music coming up, a lot of great stuff to talk about, and hopefully Stan Bush is a guy you'll want to become more familiar with as well. So let's get started. If you listen to that interview I did, I started off by talking about my gripes about how I feel that soundtrack rock is not as well represented in the greater world of classic rock as I, I feel it should be. There's all kinds of artists like Stan that put out great rock songs that are most famous for being on movies. 80s movie soundtracks are the height of film soundtracks, at least with rock music. And there's so many great ones with artists that are best known for their songs on said soundtracks. I love listening to them, stuff like heavy metal, Rocky IV, Beverly Hills Cop, Transformers. So much fun, so much great music, and the individual artists who aren't necessarily household names, so many of them have great careers beyond those little hits that we know from the soundtracks. So hopefully today will be a good deep dive into one of them. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Stan Bush. was born in Orlando, Florida in July 1953, although he lives in L.A. now. He got started with a group called Boulder back in 1979. That was his first record deal. Now, he was not the centerpiece of that band. He played rhythm guitar and sang backing vocals, but he wasn't uh, front and center. I did a little reading about the other guys in the band Nothing really jumped out at me, so Stan is definitely the breakout star of that group. I listened to the record not expecting a whole lot, but I ended up liking Boulder quite a bit. This weird little forgotten project from 1979 is actually really good, so I'm not going to spend too much time with it because, again, Stan wasn't the main focus. But take a listen to this track. It's called Turn the Radio Up. Turn the radio up. So I'm not sure if that guitar part is Stan, but to me it sounds a little like Joe Walsh, so I like this a lot. I was really pleasantly surprised by this record. And the record opens up with a cover of Join Me in L.A., which is a Warren Zevon cover. So if nothing else, these guys had good inspiration. Warren Zevon is awesome. So if you're looking for a deep, deep, deep cut from Stan Bush right off the bat, this 1979 eponymous Boulder album is surprisingly good. 
Unfortunately, this album was not a success, and the band split up shortly after. I couldn't even find out if they even toured. Stan got his first solo record deal with CBS a couple of years later, and in 1983 he released his own eponymous debut. I'm going to play the first track off that album. So this is the first ever Stan Bush song. It is called It's Hot. We I really like this song, and I also really like this whole album. Again, much like with Boulder, I didn't really have high expectations because, in you know, an artist's first album, you know, they're still figuring out the kinks, that sort of thing. But I don't know. Stan seemed ready to go, fully formed almost. I like it quite a bit. It was not a hit, but you hair metal fans might recognize the single he released. So here, take a listen to the single off of Stan Bush. This is called All American Boy. I'm just a red-blooded, fun-loving, all-American boy. I'm just a red-blooded, fun-loving, all-American boy. Okay, so you probably don't recognize this version, but Y&T did a version of this song on their 1985 album, Down for the Count. That's the big album with their most famous hit, Summertime Girls. It's a deep, deep cut there, but if you're a Y&T fan, hey, here's an earlier version of that same song. That song was actually written by a guy named Van Stevenson, who has since passed away. Van Stevenson is most famous as a one-hit wonder himself. He put out a song called Modern Day Delilah in the late 80s. This is a song I really like, so I think it's pretty cool that Stan recorded one of his songs. Here's that Van Stevenson song for reference. This is Modern Day Delilah. She's a modern day so again, Van Stevenson wrote the All-American Boy that was both a single for Stan Bush and also for YMT. Okay, so that first album, Stan Bush, surprisingly good all the way through. I enjoyed that record quite a bit. I I listen to these songs fairly regularly now. I think he had a really strong opening. I'm disappointed it wasn't a hit because I, I think there's some good stuff there. Now, at some point in 1985, he signs with Scotty Brothers Records. Scotty Brothers is most famous for launching the careers of Survivor and Weird Al Yankovic. If you want to learn a little bit more about Scotty Brothers, you should pick up Jim Peterick's book, Through the Eye of the Tiger. They were sort of a low-rent, crooked, you know, independent uh, record label. There was no shortage of complaints about Scotty Brothers uh, in Jim Peterick's book, which was uh, a fun read. But when I talked to Stan, he, he mentioned Scotty Brothers. He didn't seem to have any bad feelings or ill will towards them. So let's not get caught up on that. Scotty Brothers had a number of hit records in the 80s. And frankly, given that... Stan's first album sort of reminds me of Survivor. I think it was actually a good fit. Now, when I interviewed Stan, he told me that he is a big fan of the film Top Gun. And he also said in a 2014 interview with Vulture.com that he is also a big fan of a similar film called Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle was released in January 1986. Stan saw that movie in theaters. There's a point in the movie where the character Chappie, played by Louis Gossett Jr., says this. Right now, you're probably filled with all the doubts in the world. But I'm going to tell you something, Topic. God doesn't give people things he doesn't want them to use. And he gave you the touch. Now, when Stan heard that line in the theater, he thought, yeah! What a great song idea. And at some point in the early months of 1986, he started to put together a song called The Touch. You got the touch. You got the power. When all hell's breaking loose, you'll be right in the eye of the storm. 
was his hope of getting that song in a movie. Now, as it turned out, Scotty Brothers had a deal to make the soundtrack for the Sylvester Stallone movie, Cobra. And Stan thought that his song would be a great fit for that movie. Now, Cobra actually has a really good soundtrack. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if The Touch would have been a good fit. I love that movie, and I just don't really see a place in the film for it. Maybe one of the Rocky movies, if we're talking about Stallone, but I I don't think Cobra would have worked as well. Now, Cobra was released in 1986, same month as Top Gun, and The Touch was not included. But, a few months later, Scotty Brothers came back to Stan and told him that The Touch would be used as the centerpiece for the soundtrack of the 1986 animated Transformers movie. I'm going to play you a clip from that trailer, and they use it right off the bat in that. You got the touch. Hold on tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron. And Orson Welles. I am Now, Stan was actually initially a little disappointed, or at least he felt it was a double-edged sword. At the time, he did not realize how many kids were watching Transformers, and he didn't understand how devoted that fan base would grow up to be. Those kids grew up, but they did not let go of their fandom of that TV series or the movie or Stan's music. And it wouldn't be for about 10 years that Stan would really come to understand that. At the time, he just felt that he had this perfect soundtrack hit that could have been used on a real successful Stallone movie, but instead it got put in a kid's movie. Now, in 2019, he told UAMC.com, which is UltimateActionMovies.com, quote, Cobra was a cool movie and all, but it didn't really have the staying powers of Transformers, which became this whole phenomenon. Now, as much as I love Cobra, he is absolutely correct. You know, there was some talk, I guess, of making a second Cobra, but Transformers, at least in the last 15 years, has become one of Hollywood's premier franchises, with all those Michael Bay movies, but beyond that, there's also video games, you know, and of course the in, in TV series, Transformers is a flagship of Hollywood. And Stan is, in hindsight, much more lucky that Scotty Brothers put his song on that instead of Cobra, which, you know, as much as I love that movie, you can get that on a DVD with like three other movies. So <laughs> it, it wasn't, it was not the cultural phenomenon that Transformers was. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Going back to that Transformers soundtrack, another little Six Degrees of Sylvester Stallone uh, connection there is that Stan collaborated with soundtrack composer Vince DiCola on a song called Dare. Here, take a listen to this. A little bit more. Heaven only knows what you might find. Dare! I'll straighten you out yet. Yeah, this is another good song, and it, it it sounds a lot like the touch. It fits right in on the soundtrack nicely, and the Stallone connection is that Vince was fresh off his signature Rocky IV soundtrack. Rocky IV is one of the best soundtracks of the '80s. It's probably my favorite and Vince's compositions are a big part of that so it was very cool to hear him again on this soundtrack and doubly cool to hear him put something together with Stan and that collaboration really paid off I mean Stan and Vince are still friends today and they've worked together a number of times over the years you know convention appearances that sort of thing so I think Stan really made the most of being on this Transformers soundtrack and then the last little bit about that soundtrack, Weird Al Yankovic's Dare to be Stupid is also on that soundtrack. So if nothing else, uh, Stan and Vince are in good company. So <laughs> there is that. Now it wasn't a big chart hit, but it was still a hit. And now with that under his belt, it was time for Stan to capitalize with his next record. In an attempt to beef up his image, Scotty Brothers decided to sort of rebrand him. And Stan's laughed about this in interviews since then. But they put together a so-called band behind him called Barrage. And the album would be called Stan Bush and Barrage. Barrage was just his session players. It was not really a band. It was just sort of for the record art. <laughs> you know, it was just for the promotional materials. I think their idea was... Stan's debut as a solo artist wasn't a hit and they were sort of trying to reboot his career by trying the band approach and unfortunately despite the touch being included on this record it was also not a very big hit it was released in 1987 and a song from the album called Head vs. Heart was included on another movie soundtrack. This was a low-budget horror movie with Charlie Sheen called The Wraith. I watched the trailer for that movie. It does not look good. But like with his 1983 debut, I think Barrage is a good record. There's some good music all the way through. My favorite is called Crank That Radio. Thematically, this sort of reminds me of that Boulder song I played earlier, Turn the Radio Up. I mean, these are both songs about how great music is. And I think, even though it's a little meta, that's a cool subject for a song. And it does feel like something you would crank the radio to. And I like most of the songs on this record. There's very good vocals and production here. Stan's voice is in top form and if you're interested in introducing yourself to Stan's music this is a great place to start because it's a strong album and 
the touches on the album. So you'll at least have something familiar, even if you're unsure about the rest of it. This is a great jumping on point for any potential fans. With that, I think this is a good time to take a quick break for a segment that looks at some recent headlines in the world of classic rock. This is Yesterday's News. many big stories, just a collection of little stories and things to think about, because there's only one big story, and that is with a COVID-19 vaccine on the way, the music industry is planning to bounce back big time in 2021. COVID hit the music industry harder than most, and there's been so many people out of work, and so many bands, and of course their crews, desperate to get back out on the road. So many artists who've been cooped up at home recording music and just waiting for the go-ahead to put it out there so they have something to promote when they can tour again. And everyone's, for so long, has just had to hold still. At least the decent ones. There were a couple of uh, lousy fake bands like Steel Panther and Great White who were just like, yeah, fuck it, go out on the road. Chris Jericho, you know, losers like that. They, They went out and defied safety ordinances but real bands with you know a sense of decency about them have all held off on touring but with the vaccine on the way everybody's getting ready to hit the road as soon as safely possible which is looking to be at the end of this year probably starting in the fall the big one for me is the genesis reunion phil collins is ready to tour again ah this was one i did not expect to ever see announced again. I thought Phil was going to be off the road from here on out, but him and Mike Rutherford and Tony Banks, Daryl Sturmer, Wisconsin guy, they were supposed to go back out on the road last year, starting, I think, right around March or April, and, you know, COVID put that all off. But thankfully, they've just held steady, and they're going to get back out on the road. They've announced a couple of dates in fall. 2021. So if you're in England or Europe, keep your eyes open for Genesis shows. I think those are going to be really interesting to see. And other major tours are supposed to start announcing their their makeup dates as well. I know Hall & Oates has announced their makeup dates from the shows they had to cancel last year. And I think there's going to be a lot of big name tours announced. The big one that I have questions about is the Motley Crue reunion. The stadium tour, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett, that was among the last major tours to cancel dates due to COVID-19. But there hasn't been any word on when they're going to reschedule the canceled dates. And it's going to be interesting to see if that one actually takes off or if that's going to ultimately be a casualty. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, they said they're not going to tour in 2021. They're going to put off any plans they have until 2022. Is ACDC going to announce tour dates? They surprised everybody last year with that new record. And it's sort of unclear what Brian Johnson's health situation is right now with his hearing issue. But it seems they're back. I wonder if they're going to announce some tour dates, maybe a limited tour. But I guess it all depends on on Brian's health. I don't think they're going to have Axl Rose back. I think that experiment is over. So I'm going to keep an eye on ACDC, see if they announce anything. Because, again, nobody was expecting that record last year, but it was really well received. I liked a couple of songs on it, and I think there's definitely people who want them to go on the road. Now, my last little point here is the band to keep an eye on in 2021-2022 is Journey. I think they're poised to have a huge year or so. They had that big lineup shuffle at the start of last year where they fired two of their members for doing some weird corporate hostile takeover stuff that didn't work. So they've got a new revamped lineup that includes Randy Jackson from American Idol, which is, I gotta say, very cool. And I know they have a new album ready to go. They've talked about as many as three records over the next couple of years that are in production or almost ready for release. So I think there are big things coming from Journey over the next year or so. So definitely keep an eye on them. 
And that's really all the news I have. So let's just call it there, and hopefully we'll have some um, better news to announce in uh, upcoming episodes. But right now, just some stuff to think about. And with that, let's get back to Stan Bush. Okay, we're actually at my favorite part of the episode now. Let's talk a little bit about Jean-Claude Van Damme. In the late 1980s, Canon Films discovered a martial arts master named Jean-Claude Van Damme. He desperately wanted to become a movie star, and he had a few minor roles in some low-budget crap in the 80s, but Canon would take a genuine shot at making him a superstar in 1988, and it paid off. Bloodsport was released in February 1988, and take a listen to this trailer. A forbidden competition. Couldn't you just get me in? Strict rules, no press. You're telling me you never break rules? Where every fighting style, every worthy opponent, every deadly technique, I... clash in savage combat. Separate the men from the boys. And only one will triumph. Now I will break you. International martial arts sensation Jean-Claude Van Damme. In Bloodsport. The true story of the ultimate champion. Okay, sounds pretty good. I'll cut right to the chase. This is my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Outside of the Rocky movies, this is just about the best fight movie I've ever seen. And... The soundtrack is a big part of it. The soundtrack was composed by Paul Herzog, and Stan Bush was on lead vocals. So here's the big theme from the movie. It's called Fight to Survive. This is one of my absolute favorite songs from any 80s movie soundtrack plays a couple of times in the movie and it is great you know most stan bush fans would tell you the touch is their favorite song but for me it is fight to survive i love this movie i love this song and stan's vocal performance is out of this world i mean he is hollering on this record so when i had him on the show last year i of course had to ask him about it and this is what he had to say about fight to survive yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was like, Fights to Survive has got in a couple of TV shows recently in the last couple of years. And, oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I still like listen to that. That's a, that's a high E. I don't even know if I could hit that anymore. Oh. That, that <laughs> Fight to Survive. It's like nuts, like stupid high. It's like, man. <laughs> now, I've always had a high voice, but I mean, that one was especially up there, you know. This song took everything Stan had vocally to get out. I mean, he is at the top of his range, <laughs> like he was saying. He's not even sure if he can hit those notes anymore. But it paid off so well. It sounds so great. And it is certainly one of the reasons that Bloodsport is my favorite Jean-Claude movie. That's not the only song he did uh, on the soundtrack. He also recorded a slower, more somber song called On My Own Alone, which is actually not bad either. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out. Now, Bloodsport was actually a big hit in 1988. So Jean-Claude signed on to do another movie in 1989 called Kickboxer. And the makers of that movie looked at the formula for Bloodsport and thought, hey, let's just do this exact same thing again. (laughs) Kickboxer and Bloodsport are very similar movies. I like Bloodsport a little bit more, but Kickboxer is, is not far behind and Stan's main song on that one is called Never Surrender so here's Never Surrender from Kickboxer yeah this is also really good this is a great 80s rock soundtrack And although Stan doesn't play Fight to Survive in concerts, if you prefer this one, you're in luck because he always plays Never Surrender. 
Now, the other songs on this record are called Fight for Love and Streets of Siam. Those are both good songs. To me, Bloodsport and Kickboxer are a great one-two punch, if you pardon the pun, of soundtracks uh, and movies. They're both really fun movies, and they're both great soundtracks. Stan and Paul Herzog were a great combo for these movies. So if you like soundtrack rock, which is what I was talking about earlier and which I talked a little about in my interview with Stan, these are two soundtracks that you're going to want to check out. Fight to Survive, Never Surrender, and even the other ones on here, Streets of Siam, these are really good action songs, and I can't say enough about how much I like them. (laughs) So when we were talking about these movies, I of course had to ask if he had ever met Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude has made like 100 movies, and 10 are passable to good, and the rest are straight garbage but I treasure those 10 or whatever it is. Jean-Claude's movies in the late 80s through the mid-90s are really fun. And it was really cool to hear Stan talk about his interactions with Jean-Claude because he had two stories, and both were very funny. I met him at the screening for Kickboxer, and uh, yeah, he was, he was trying to talk to my, my wife at the time, uh, my first wife. Uh, he, he was like, who is this guy? Kind of, you know... And then, uh, then, she, like, then she sees him on the screen with his shirt off. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you know? oh, it was, no, but I, I saw him a couple of years after that. I was playing at this big outdoor bar, and, and he comes in. The bouncers were giving him a hard time, and I said, oh, let this guy in, right? And uh, anyway, the, he came over and thanked me after that, and I, and I saw it. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm the one who sang. And, and he said, wow, you see, the, the music was better than the movies. <laughs> he really said that. <laughs> Neither one of those stories surprises me, and they both crack me up, so that <laughs> that is fantastic. And, and Stan also said it would have been nice to get Jean-Claude in a music video. Hell yeah, absolutely. And by the way, Jean-Claude is a little more available nowadays, so maybe Stan can get a hold of him for his next record. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Now, around this time, Stan leaves Scotty Brothers. It's my assumption that they dropped him, but I didn't find anything that confirms it. Now, also around this time, Stan started writing some songs with Jonathan Cain, who is the keyboardist of Journey. He's also a little infamous now because he's married to Paula White, who's that crazy lady who was Trump's spiritual advisor. Probably saw one of her viral clips on on the internet at some point, but in any case. So Stan told me that Jonathan was a great guy to work with, and he was available to write songs with because Journey had gone on hiatus in 1987 and he was looking for potential collaborators, particularly vocalists because, you know, Jonathan is a keyboardist and a songwriter and he needs, you know, someone to be out front and sing. He and Stan wrote a couple of songs together which would eventually be released on Stan's next album which was called Every Beat of My Heart in 1993 and when I was interviewing Stan, he told me that there was some discussion of potentially maybe even forming a band together. So take a listen to this. This is uh, Stan talking about writing songs with Jonathan Cain from Journey. I, I worked with Jonathan, with Jonathan as well. We, we co-wrote songs and when, after Journey broke up, he was, you know, kind of looking around, deciding what to do. And he was, we were maybe going to do a band thing. So we wrote three or four songs together and uh, great guy, really talented. And, uh, but then they wound up doing Bad English after that. So Oh, Bad English. That's right. Yep. So, yeah, unfortunately, they did not team up, you know, or, or form a band or anything. Wrote a couple of songs, but that's where the relationship ended because Jonathan had an opportunity for a much more lucrative deal, which was joining Bad English, a so-called supergroup with John Waite and Jonathan's old bandmate, Neil Sean, also from Journey. I do not like Bad English at all. I do not like their song, When I See You Smile. And I wish Jonathan Cain had worked more with Stan Bush instead of this project. But what are you going to do? And Let's take a listen to what Jonathan did write with Stan. This is called Can't Hide Love. It was a single from Every Beat of My Heart. Stan on vocals and co-written by Jonathan Cain from Journey.
Okay, so you can definitely hear the journey connection there. It's a journey style ballad. It's got a good production. But unfortunately, given that he had to wait all the way till 1993 to release this, this sort of music was way out of fashion by then. Grunge had fully set in and unfortunately, grunge pretty much killed any chance of success for Stan in the 90s. The music that Stan was best at, hair metal, rock anthems, soundtrack rock, ballads, all that stuff was not popular in the 90s. There was tremendous backlash to the popular music of the 80s in the early 90s. So Stan, to his credit, read the room and decided to refocus his career on the fans he had in Europe and Japan who were still open and positive about the sort of music that Stan recorded. Stan released an oddly titled album called Dial 818-888-8638 in Europe and Japan in 1994. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, what is this? Is this some sort of, you know, Tommy Two-Tone 8675309 idea? And no, it's even weirder. Apparently, it was a reference to a fan hotline that Stan had set up at the time. And I wish I knew that when I had interviewed Stan because that's one of those things that's sort of been lost to time is just like how popular hotlines were. It's just one of those things that was a thing for a long stretch of time and then it stopped being a thing and nobody really talks about it anymore. So the subject matter, I hate to say it, is more interesting than most of the music here. Here's a clip, this is called Are You Over Me? Do you miss me much over So, I I hate to say it, but this kind of thing doesn't really do it for me. I think Stan might have been hoping to channel groups like Mr. Big or Extreme, who were having some, you know, acoustic hits in the early 90s and who were both very big overseas. And there's a lot of these acoustic ballad type of songs on the record. This is just not the music that I get into. So, this stretch of his career just really isn't for me. Although I will say the album opens with a pretty decent rock number, so it's not all ballads. Just not the stuff I usually listen to. And the next record he put out was sort of even worse for me. I'm going to play you a piece of music. This isn't Stan, but just see if you recognize this. No reason that you should. This is the theme music for a soap opera called Guiding Light. It's a show I've never heard of, but you know, soap operas, you know, have their fans. Stan did not write that piece of music, but one of his songs, which was called Until I Was Loved by You, was used in an episode. Take a listen to this. what you're thinking okay his song got on a soap opera what do i care well this song won him an emmy so that's pretty big it was a daytime emmy but still there's a lot of rock bands that don't have any emmys that song was released on his 1996 album the child within which is quietly his biggest record of the 90s because another song off the album which is called capture the dream was played during the telecasts of the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta. Take a listen to this. actually remember that song but hey maybe you do and this was a good get by the olympics because this song like a lot of songs in stan's discography is about hope and dreams and achievement and this is the kind of stuff that fits in really well with displays of athleticism so there you go yeah 1996 he put out a record that got him both featured in the olympics and a daytime emmy so 
you know, the music doesn't do a whole lot for me. These are really impressive career accomplishments. And then shortly after, he released an album exclusively to Japan called Higher Than Angels, also in 1996. Now, a year later, the film Boogie Nights is released in 1997. Boogie Nights stars Mark Wahlberg as a porn star named Dirk Diggler, and his character is apparently trying to raise some money to fund his drug addiction. He decides to do this by recording a vanity single, and the song he picks is The Touch. (laughs) So the scene from the movie is Mark Wahlberg poorly singing The Touch. Here, take a listen to that. So it's a pretty funny scene. In 2013, Mark was on Jimmy Kimmel's show, and Jimmy asked him about it, and Mark said, quote, When Paul Thomas Anderson sent me the song, he actually sent me the original, along with the lyrics, and I was like, this is really bad. Okay, Mark. Well, in defense of Stan, I will absolutely take the touch over good vibrations and anything you recorded for Rockstar any day of the week. Good vibrations is sort of like funny, at least in hindsight, but Rockstar fucking sucks. The movie and the soundtrack and Mark in it. (laughs) So don't know why you're throwing shade at Stan there. Stan ultimately got the last laugh, though, as he and Mark hung out for a bit at HazCon in Rhode Island in 2017, and they posted this to Instagram. You got the touch. You got the power. It's the original, baby. Transformers the Boogie Nights. Mark the man. 2017. Thank you, brother. God bless you. God bless you, man. After all is said and done, you never walk, you never run. You're a winner. Hi, brother. God bless you. So there you go. No beef for anything. These are just two guys who've had careers that have crossed paths at uh, a couple of points now. You know, not just uh, with the touch and, and Boogie Nights, but also... Mark Wahlberg is in a couple of those Transformers movies. So there's there's another connection. Now that same year that Boogie Nights used the touch, Stan Bush and Vince DiCola were both invited to perform at BotCon 97, which was an early Transformers convention. And this is the point where Stan realized how well regarded he was by the Transformers fan community. So it must have been a weird couple of months for Stan where he would have seen Boogie Nights kind of make fun of his song and then have this convention invite him specifically to perform that song for them. And to his credit, he focused on the positive. He embraced his past and his fans and from this point on Stan would start to write songs that were more reminiscent of the touch and less similar to ballads like Until I Was Loved By You. Okay so here's uh, another good point for a break. This is a segment that takes a look back at some of the biggest headlines from the world of classic rock. It's called Back in Time. Huey Lewis, take us back in time. Is this a Dolly Parton's 9 to 5, which became a number one hit single 40 years ago in February 1981. The sort of the weird little thing about that was uh, Sheena Easton also had a hit song called 9 to 5 in February 1981. Dolly's song is much better, and that's because Dolly Parton is a national treasure. Now let's go back a little further for our first big story. February 16, 1971. Hell's Angel Alan Passero sues the Rolling Stones for invasion of privacy for including the footage of him killing Meredith Hunter at Altamont in 1969. So Altamont is a fascinating moment in classic rock history, and the documentary Gimme Shelter, which is what Alan Passero sued the Rolling Stones over, is a must-watch for any classic rock fan. 
The whole ordeal of Altamont is a great story. There's been a couple of books about it I've been meaning to read. I really recommend the documentary, and I really recommend, if you're interested, to learn a little bit more about the story, because this guy, Pissero, was acquitted of murder on the grounds of self-defense, but like his story didn't end there. He was later found dead in a lake in 1985. Now, the authorities said there was officially no foul play suspected, but this was a very weird scenario, and there was a lot of suspicion around it so you should see the documentary we should check out these books that have been written about it we should know the story because there's a reason why it's identified as sort of the end of the 60s and it's a really great story tragic story but fascinating story okay move forward 10 years to february 14 1981 billy idol leaves generation x generation x was just a punk band with billy idol out front I think he felt he had run as far as he could with them, and he wanted to try see what he could do with a solo career. And leaving Generation X was a good decision because it ultimately led to an even better decision, which was Billy forming a partnership with guitarist Steve Stevens. And the two of them had a wildly successful decade throughout the 80s. This is, I think, one of the most underrated partnerships in classic rock. I think there should be more discussion about what a great partnership there is between Billy and Steve Stevens. They still tour together. They still perform together. And I think Billy owes a lot of credit for his success to this guy, Steve Stevens. Okay, move forward 20 years. February 6, 2001. Don Felder is fired from the Eagles. So I'm just going to take a moment to read a quick section from Don Felder's book, Heaven and Hell, My Life in the Eagles. This is about that fateful day he was fired. This is from when he calls Irving Azoff and finds out he's been fired from the band. Hi, Fingers, he says with a sigh. I've got some bad news, I'm afraid. The guys have had a meeting and they've decided to go on without you. My entire body ran cold as his words lingered in the air, their renaissance hitting me in waves. What? I stammered, my mind tripping and tumbling. It's nothing to do with your playing. It's nothing to do with you. They just think it's the best interests of the band if they let you go. Oh my God, Irving, I said, blood rushing to my head. They can't do this. What do they mean? Why are they doing this? What? But the words died on my lips. Tears spurted from my eyes, and I started trembling all over. I felt as if I'd been hit by a truck. Okay, then we're going to skip forward a few paragraphs to Don's last phone call with Glenn Fry. In a last exasperated act, I called Glenn's studio, and to my astonishment, he answered the phone. Overwhelmed at hearing his voice, I begged him not to get rid of me. I'll do anything you say, Roach, I told him, but don't cut me off like this. The Eagles is all I know. I never want to get another fucking letter from Barry Tyerman, he said gruffly. Hearing the obvious emotion in my voice, he added witheringly, Try to reach some higher ground on this, Felder. The phone line went dead. So, now that Glenn Fry has since passed, as far as we know, this is the last interaction that Don Felder ever had with Glenn Fry. And it's a real unpleasant one, very nasty. I just read this segment from the book to mark the... 20-year anniversary of uh, Felder being out of the Eagles. I think this is an absolutely fascinating memoir. I think it's one of the best rock and roll autobiographies out there. And I think Don Felder's built a really nice solo career in the 20 years he's had since the Eagles. So if you haven't read Heaven and Hell, I really recommend it. With that, let's get back to the main story. Final segment. So, in December 2020, Stan told DefendersOfTheFaithMetal.com, quote, In the early 90s, when the grunge thing came in, the kind of 80s rock that I do just totally went away. It wasn't until the early 2000s when there was a resurgence of that kind of music. Like I said before, Stan spent a lot of time in the 90s in Europe and Japan. But as the backlash to 80s rock started to dissipate, he was able to refocus his career on American audiences 
in the 2000s. He released Language of the Heart in 2001 and a record called Shine in 2004. It's a very contemporary early 2000s rock music. And again, I'll be honest, it isn't really for me. It was hard for me to get into the music of these two, especially because I sort of knew what was coming up. So if you like early 2000s rock and roll, you might check it out. You might find something for you, but unfortunately, none of this moved me much at all. In 2007, he released In This Life, which featured better production than his last couple of records. And to me, it marks the start of what I call Stan's current vibe. This seems to be the point where he became the artist that he is today. So here, let's take a quick listen to the title track. This is called In This Life. In this life Ten, Stan released an album called Dream the Dream, and on that album was a 2009 version of The Touch, which was called The Touch Sam's Theme. I'm going to play a clip of this because it's a little different, and I would just wonder what you think. So here is the 2009 version of The Touch with no context. You're at your best when anything different (laughs) yeah it's a completely different song it's a completely different style it is totally unfamiliar with everything Stan had released in the past what's the deal right well it makes a little more sense if you understand the context of why this was recorded in this way he recorded this version of the touch intentionally to mimic the style of Linkin Park And he was mimicking Linkin Park because Linkin Park did the soundtrack for the first Michael Bay Transformers movie. In 2007, Transformers had its big cinematic return. Michael Bay put out that first movie. It was a huge hit. Linkin Park did the soundtrack. And in 2009, the second one was supposed to come out. It was called Revenge of the Fallen. And Stan was really hoping he could get the touch included on that soundtrack. So in an effort to appease what he thought Hollywood wanted, he recorded his classic version in the style of the artist they were using for that first movie soundtrack. It makes sense why he would do it like this. And it could have worked in theory because it would have connected to that that old movie that the fans have so much appreciation for, but it also would sound very modern. Well, Hollywood didn't bite. I guess there was some interest in maybe having him do a song for the movie, but ultimately they passed. And as far as this 2009 version of The Touch, I don't like Linkin Park at all, so I don't like this song, but I am very impressed how he was able to capture that Linkin Park sound. It's actually just an interesting experiment of taking an established song and like trying to capture the sound of an entirely different band, which I think he does. You can go on YouTube and find the original version of this song. There is a rap verse on it, which, you know what, I'll, I'll play it really quick. This is the, the 2009 single version of the song with the rap. Here, take a quick listen to this. Hands of steel yourself on who you really are you know it's for real you can't win this war they try to put you down but you gotta believe in yourself when you are feeling like they're trying to deceive the heart of you even though you feel a pain you never give up because the hope remains you stand your ground you're fighting fire with fire you're coming out on top it's your only desire again i'm not a big lincoln park fan but if you're into that sound hey maybe this is a good one for you more importantly this album marks a move away from love songs and a new focus on inspirational songs and that's important because inspirational songs are the songs that stan is best at lyrically and production wise and he put out his next album which was called the ultimate in 2014 of the song called unstoppable here take a quick listen to that Yeah, I really like this song. 
this is actually my favorite album of Stan's since Garage, and I think this is where he truly reestablishes himself as a motivational rock songwriter and recording artist. Now there's a new The Touch remix on this album. This is called The Power Mix. It's less, I don't want to say outrageous, but yeah, less outrageous than that Linkin Park style version. And it was used in, I believe, a Transformers um, video game. And this is a good point for me to note that all through the 2010s, Stan had music that was being used in video games and TV shows. And this sort of goes back to what I like about Stan in the first place. Soundtrack rock. It's just a different style of it. He's not front and center on any big movie soundtracks anymore, but he's still scoring video games, TV shows, anime, and fans of those properties are very dedicated, and the music he puts on these different pieces of media are all really well received by fans of those properties. So he's still finding his soundtrack success nowadays. It's just different than what he was doing in the 80s. And speaking to that fandom, he was inducted into the Transformers Hall of Fame at BotCon in 2014. And this just says it all. I mean, I think he's the only human in the Transformers Hall of Fame, but it speaks to how much that fan community loves Stan and how his music is celebrated in that sort of niche community. And that's a credit to Stan for being a good sport and showing up and for being a guy who regularly attends those Transformers conventions and plays for the fans. In 2017, Stan released an album called Change the World. Play a clip from that album. This is called Warrior. Warrior! Ready to fight! You got the power! This is a song that was used for a video game called Shadow Warrior 2. Again, soundtrack rock in the 2010s. This album also includes re-recorded versions of Never Surrender, Dare, and of course, The Touch. Now, these aren't remixes like the Touch versions I was talking about earlier. These are the same original arrangements, but now with a new, crisper production. Sort of like an HD version of these old 80s hits sort of like Barrage, this album is sort of a good introductory point to Stan's career because it's going to feature some songs you might already be familiar with filtered in with the kind of music he's doing nowadays. Again, like Barrage, that's a good jumping on point for fans who might be new to Stan's career. Okay, and then moving ahead to last year, Stan releases Dare to Dream in 2020. The lead-off single, Born to Fight, was used in a Netflix anime when he came on the podcast last year. We talked a little bit about that. Sort of a uh, cartoon music video, which is very reminiscent of his original music video for The Touch. But even better than that was the second single, which is called The 80s. And The 80s is one of the best songs of Stan's entire career. I'm going to play a quick clip of that. Here's Stan Bush and his single, The 80s. is an awesome song. Sort of like what I was talking about earlier in the episode with those songs he did with Boulder and Barrage, you know, turn the radio up and crank that radio. This is one of those songs that's about music itself. When I talked to Stan about this song, I mentioned it's only rock and roll by the Rolling Stones, old time rock and roll by Bob Seger. There's another song called Credence Song by John Fogarty, which is a celebration of his time with Credence. And all of these have great subject matter, but they're also all very strong standalone tracks. It makes you think of great songs, but it doesn't make you want to change the channel and listen to one of the old songs. You still want to stick around and listen to the song you're hearing because it's very good. I really enjoyed this track, and this was the main reason I think I wanted to talk to Stan, and it was very cool for him to, to come on the show. And as I said to him in our interview, the other three songs that I like off the record are the three that are sort of on the main theme of the album, which is Dreaming. The three songs with Dream in the title. 
a song called Dream Big, A Dream of Love, and the title track, Dare to Dream. Those are, I think, among the strongest tracks on the record. I like Dare to Dream quite a bit. It was one of my favorite records of 2020, and it made for a great topic to talk to Stan about. And having him on the show was awesome. He's just about the nicest guy. He is clearly very fan-friendly, so if you ever get a chance at a convention or a festival or something to you know, get a picture with him or something, you know, make sure you go over and say hello. He's definitely a guy who appreciates his fans and makes time for them and is very friendly. So it was a very good experience interviewing him last year, and it was definitely the highlight of Play That Rock and Roll in 2020. Now, if you ever want to see Stan live in concert, that's a little tough because Stan doesn't tour like most bands, and that's sort of a double-edged sword. You don't get to see Stan out on the road every summer like most bands, but that is the reason his vocals have stayed strong all these years. You know, David Coverdale from Whitesnake has put out a bunch of albums recently, and there's a lot of hype around them. I hate to say this, but that guy cannot sing anymore. I saw him in concert five years ago, and he sounded awful. Stan sounds as strong as ever on this last album, and his voice has stayed consistently good through his whole career. And if you're a fan of strong vocalists, he's a guy you definitely want to check out. Now, that's not to say he doesn't do live shows. He does live shows, but those are limited to convention appearances, like those Transformers conventions I was talking about, or festivals, typically big festivals in Europe. So if you have opportunities, you know, those are the probably the best chances you have to see him. Or if you live in Los Angeles, you can track down his acoustic group, which is called Acoustic Saints. This is a fun little side project that keeps his voice in shape and gets him performing semi-regularly in front of a crowd. You should check out their website if you live in LA. That might be an opportunity to get a photo with them or get a record signed. If you're interested in seeing Stan live and you live in LA, well, hey, there you go. Like that Warren Zevon song he covered way back in 1979. Join me in LA, see Acoustic Saints. <laughs> Let's wrap up with some final thoughts here. It is too bad he doesn't tour. I've seen live videos of him on YouTube, and they look really fun. He is a very good live performer, so it is bittersweet that you can't see him on the road, but I definitely appreciate why he doesn't, because I do also really like his studio records, and keeping his voice and shape is key to those. I definitely recommend seeing him if you have a chance at one of those conventions or festivals. You know, the last decade of his career is definitely very formulaic but that's because he's a guy who understands his niche and he understands his appeal to his fan base as a songwriter he's a guy who knows his strengths and as a songwriter he's best at motivational rock so each record he puts out he tries to do that sort of thing better and better each time maybe it's not the most original thing in the world but that is also the formula that acdc writes songs with you know, it was just a fun little experiment. I went through Stan's discography and I counted eight tracks across his career that have the word dream in the title. And I kind of had a little chuckle at that. But as soon as I did that, I thought to myself, well, how many songs would ACDC have that would have the words rock or balls or hell in the title? And it's probably the same number. So if you're not familiar, it's important to know that Stan is an artist who writes uplifting, positive, motivational rock music. Very much in the style of 80s AOR songs. You know, maybe that's not for you, but I like a lot of this stuff. And I think people need this inspirational music, especially after a garbage year like 2020. So I definitely recommend exploring some of Stan's work, getting a couple of these CDs. Check out Dare to Dream and let's start 2021 off on a strong note. And if that motivational rock doesn't do much for you, you should check out his soundtrack works. If this new stuff isn't moving you, get a hold of the soundtracks for Bloodsport, Kickboxer, or the Transformers soundtrack. It's all really good stuff there. And if, if you're an 80s hair metal fan, those first two records he did are really good too. So if you want to learn more about Stan, though, go to his website at stanbush.com. You can buy CDs of all of his albums from there, which is very cool. I'm a big proponent of physical media, so you should definitely get those while you have a chance. You can find him on social media, Stan Bush on Facebook and Instagram, and he's at Stan underscore Bush on Twitter. And also, if you'd like to learn more about him, well, hey, go ahead and listen to that interview I did with him last year. We talked about a lot of great stuff, and it was really fun to have him on. I should take this opportunity to say thank you again to Stan for joining me on the show last year, and also to recommend getting that new record, Dare to Dream. 
looking forward to the future. I do have a couple of more interviews I'm planning to put together for this spring, so keep an eye out for those. And my next artist retrospective episode will be a bit unconventional. Katie Segal, the actress most famous for her roles in Married with Children and Sons of Anarchy, she actually had a pretty long-running music career. No big hits in there. But some great rock and roll. I have her autobiography that I've been uh, looking forward to reading. So it's a little unconventional, but I think we're going to have some fun with that podcast. And then after that, we'll get into much more popular and famous rock artists as the year goes on. A lot of good stuff planned for this year. The intro song for Play That Rock and Roll is I Can Play That Rock and Roll by Joe Walsh. And remember, the big four things you can do to support this show that are free... One, listen to the show. Hey, if you made it this far, you did it already. Thank you very much. Two, recommend the show to family, friends, anybody you know who's looking for podcast recommendations, particularly music and rock and roll fans. Let them know about the show. I pretty much have to rely on word of mouth advertising at this point, so if you can pass this show along, any episodes, whatever you can do, much appreciated on my end. Three, find us on social media at Play That Podcast on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Play That Podcast, and YouTube.com slash C slash Play That Rock and Roll. And the fourth thing you can do to help this show is you can give us a good rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I promise I will see the review, and if you say something nice, I'm going to really appreciate that. So please, if you can, just take a moment. Ratings and reviews are so helpful to young shows like this one. So doing that would be very much appreciated on this end. And with that, we're going to call it a day. Thanks again. To Stan Bush. Hope you found some good stuff you'll want to explore from his catalog. And thanks for tuning in. So, Stan, one last time, play us out via Bloodsport. We'll see you next time. Now's my chance to live my dream. I'm taking hold of every It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.